All right, well, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Galatians chapter 4. We're starting together this morning a new series where we are going to look at the doctrine of adoption. That in the gospel, God the Father adopts us, adopts spiritual orphans into his family, making us his beloved children by grace. Now, why is this so important? Well, I think that many of us this morning came in here today living on half a gospel. We've been told that the good news is that through Christ's death and resurrection, all of our sins, past, present, and future, thought, word, and deed, what's been done and what's been left undone, all of them are forgiven. It's amazing news. But it's only half the story. The gospel isn't just about what we've been saved from, but what we've been saved to. It's not just about getting out of jail, but finding a new home. It's not just a judge declaring us innocent, but a father naming us his children. And that is what the doctrine of adoption is all about. God, through Jesus, adopting us to be his his cherished children, not because we have or ever could for a second earn it, but out of his never-ending kindness to us. The author J.I. Packer calls our spiritual adoption the highest privilege the gospel has to offer us. That at its core, being a Christian means you're someone who has God as your father. And that's not just what one author thinks, it's not just what I think, but it's what God thinks. In the New Testament, God gives us two yardsticks to measure his love for us, the cross and our adoption. See, 1 John 3 says, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. It's almost almost as if the apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, catches himself by surprise. Stop what you're doing. You are not going to believe this for a second. In the gospel, God loves us so much, he makes us a part of his family. According to the Bible, it would not be overstating it to say, what's the good news of the gospel? By grace, we all become God's kids. And yet that's so often missing in our functional daily understanding of the gospel. We know we've been forgiven, but we're not living as if we know we've been given by grace the status of God's own son. And when we don't, when we are living on half a gospel, our spiritual life will always feel like we're trying to fly with one wing. I wonder if you've felt that way before. 
When you think about your spiritual life, you know, it, it, it's maybe touch and go, or, or maybe you get off the ground for a little bit. Maybe you even fly for a little while, but you've never known what it means to soar. Uh, Red Bull, the energy drink, do you remember what their tagline was? Maybe still is, I don't know. It'll give you wings. Uh, now, I, I played on a team in high school that was, we, Red Bull sponsored us, and I can tell you from experience in seeing who can slam the most Red Bulls after a two-hour summer practice, it will give you all sorts of strange, funny feelings in your body, wings being one of them. When you get the gospel of adoption, when you come alive to the Father's love for you, it will give you wings. It will let you soar. Soar even when you're limping. Soar even when you're feeling the sting of sin, yours or somebody else's. When you are feeling the ache of suffering in a world that is not all it will be, coming alive to the Father's love will let you soar, even though your sorrow, even in your sorrow, because though your circumstances may not change and your grief over them doesn't magically go away, you can feel the smile of your heavenly Father on you. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to explore the greatest thing the gospel has to offer you. Uh, This amazing doctrine of adoption, we get it primarily from the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to look at four of the passages where he invites us to come alive to the wonder of what it means when God takes spiritual orphans and makes them his beloved children. Five weeks five weeks for us to linger in the Father's love for us because it will change your life. It changed mine. And I'm not talking about when I became a Christian when I was five. I'm not talking about some time in my life when I was young, maybe just kind of spiritually immature. I'm talking about over the last two years. Standing here every week as one of your pastors God in his kindness has made me alive to his fatherly love for me and it has changed me, still changing me. So pray over the next five weeks, it'll change you too. Uh, So follow with that as I read Galatians 4. Let's come alive to the father's love for us this morning. Paul says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Uh, Three points this morning for us to look at. The status, the smile, and the stateliness of adoption. So first, the status of adoption. Uh, In verses four and five, 
the Apostle Paul is actually drawing on the Roman legal process of adoption, and he's using that to illustrate the good news of how spiritual orphans can become the Father's beloved children. Uh, In that day, in Paul's day, if a wealthy Roman man didn't have a son, if he didn't have an heir to pass his estate onto, he would adopt one. Uh, But not a, a baby, actually a young man, usually one of the servants uh, who is living in his home. And for this young man to be legally adopted, two things had to happen. First, he had to be freed. Uh, People often became servants in that time because they had a, a financial debt that they couldn't pay off. And so in order for a wealthy Roman man to adopt a servant, he first had to to pay off his debts. He had to free him, to redeem him. And before the father could adopt us, he had to free us. He had to redeem us. He had to pay off our debts. But when the set time had fully come, Paul said, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Uh, The Bible never says that everyone is God's children. It says that we're all God's creation, but actually apart from Christ, we, we are not God's children. Now, the picture we get instead is that we're spiritual orphans wandering through life without a home with the void of a gracious father in our heart that we're never able to quite fill because we're not just orphans, but as Paul says in verse five, we're slaves too. We're enslaved to the law of God, enslaved to it legally, meaning we we are obligated to keep every last word of it to get God's acceptance, which we can never do and enslaved to it spiritually meaning our hearts are fixated on trying to keep God's law to get God's smile, to get the love that we've always wanted but never really known. Before a Roman man could adopt a servant, he had to pay off their debt. He had to assume the responsibility for everything that that man had done. And in the gospel, Paul is saying, on the cross, God the Father pays your debt. He assumes himself the responsibility for everything you have ever done. So there is now no longer a single damning word that the law can say about you. It may now convict you, but it can never condemn you because God says, don't you remember? My son answered for all of that. He answered for every sin you have and ever will do. I signed your adoption papers with the blood of Jesus, with the ink of immeasurable grace. You are redeemed. You are free. And for many of us, this is where we stop. For a lot of us, this is the whole gospel. My debt is paid, my my slate is wiped clean, my sins are forgiven. 
The gospel isn't just a judge, God the judge, banging his gavel and declaring us innocent. No, the gospel is also God the Father wrapping his arm around us and taking us home in naming us his children, in dressing us in the robe and ring of his son and saying, you're now a part of my family. That's what Paul describes in verse five. To be adopted, a servant had to be freed, but then they also had to be given the legal status of a son. And so through his death on the cross, Paul says, Jesus redeemed us so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now that phrase, adoption adoption to sonship, sometimes it gets translated as receive the full rights of a son. It's describing this second part of the process. After a servant is freed, he now legally becomes a son. And, And in the eyes of the law, He now has all the rights, the privileges, the blessings that a natural-born son, a natural-born heir would have. And Paul is saying that when the Father adopts us in the gospel, that is now true of you too. We are now given by grace the same legal status of God's own son. We don't just become his children, as amazing as that would be. We're given the full rights of the firstborn, the heir of the family. God doesn't adopt us and say, right, take a spot down at the end of the table. He says, no, 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 no. You come sit right next to me here in my son's chair because that's where you stay now. And Paul's not uh, actually being sexist here when he says that in the gospel, we all become sons. He's not talking about gender. This is an issue of status. And it's actually... It's actually very egalitarian. In Paul's day, women had no rights, none. They could never be the heir. They could never have that status, ever. Except in this father's family, you can. In fact, in his family, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, anyone and everyone can be adopted by the Father's inexhaustible grace and legally receive the same status, the same rights, the same privileges, the same blessings as Jesus himself. You know, I've shared this story before, but years ago uh, when I was single, before I had kids, one of my friends was telling me about one time when his son was about one And uh, he was down the hallway in another room and he heard his son start screaming from his room. And so he takes off running down the hallway, you know, turns the corner into the room and there is his son standing in his crib covered in poop. And uh, this was his first kid. So he's, you know, poop is still, you know, something that you don't really mess around with. Now I'm like, I have poop on me. Well, whatever, I'll get it later. And so he's trying to... He's trying to, you know, help his son out. You know, they're there. It's okay. You know, know, none of it's working. And he finally realizes in order for him to help his son, in order for him to console him in his pain, he has to pick him up and give him a big hug. God in the gospel finds us as enslaved orphans 
covered in the guilt and shame of what our sin, what the sin of other people has done to us. And when he does, he doesn't throw us a towel and tell us to clean ourselves up. He doesn't pick us up by the corners and try to run to the tub to get us in there before he gets any of it on himself. No, he wraps his arms around us. He says, you are now by grace, one of my beloved children, one of my cherished sons, one of my prized heirs with a whole new set of guarantees in life, a whole new set of promises that your heavenly father cannot break because you have the same legal right to them as Jesus himself. So the status of adoption, second, the smile of adoption. Our adoption's legal, but it's not just legal. When the Father adopts us by grace, we not only come alive to a new status, but a new smile. Our Heavenly Father's smile on us. Verse 6, Paul says, Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, Paul does something in this verse that he, he actually never does. He writes something not in Greek. Abba is Aramaic for father. Uh, the Galatian churches that Paul's writing to, though, they, they all speak, they all write in Greek. They don't know Aramaic. That's why Paul has to translate it for them. We get to cry Abba, which means pater, father. Now, why make things more complicated than it needs to be? Abba was the way that Jesus talked to God. Now, this was, this was absolutely revolutionary. In Jesus' day, a grown Jewish man didn't even say the name of God. That was too holy for him. Jesus comes and jumps right over all of that and says, you know what I call him? Papa. Abba, Father. It was so revolutionary that Paul uses the very word Jesus said in writing to these Greek-speaking Christians as if to say, no, no, no. I'm not just saying you get to call God Father. I'm saying you get to talk to him like Jesus does. Now, here's what I always overlooked about that until this week. The only way that we could talk to God like Jesus does is if God now views us like he does Jesus. See, the good news of adoption isn't just that we receive a new legal status, but also a new loving smile. Adopted by grace, the Father now has the same delight desire and enjoyment for you that he does his own son. You know, if you're a Christian this morning, how do you view your relationship with God? Day-to-day -day level. If you had to paint it in a picture, is it like a boss sitting across from the table reviewing his employee? Or is it like a dad throwing their kid up in the air just to hear them laugh. 
Adoption means that there is nothing you need to do to crack a smile on your heavenly father's face. If you are one of his children, he is looking at you with the same affection he has for Jesus. So where does that feel like too much for you right now? Where in your life and in your story is shame, has shame become so loud that you can feel yourself wanting to wiggle out, even in this moment, from your father's smiling embrace of you? That's where he wants you to come alive to his love this morning. When we are adopted by grace, the father says over us, says over you, the same benediction that he says over Jesus at his baptism. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Only we don't hear that at the finish line. We hear that at the start line. Our life in his family begins with God saying, I am so pleased with you. Do you believe that? In the gospel, God is not saying, as so many of our earthly fathers have said to us, go and make me proud. God's saying, I'm already proud of you. Not because you have or ever could do anything to earn it, but in the wonder of the father's adopting grace. You now have all the achievements of his son, Jesus, written next to your name. The gospel of adoption means the heavenly father will never be embarrassed, never be ashamed of you, but is actually showing off your Facebook pictures in heaven right this very moment with a beaming smile on his face saying they they might not always be doing great, but that's my boy. That's my girl. And I am so proud of them. You know, Harvard University once did a study, you may have heard of it, it's called the Grant Study, where for about 75 years, they followed 268 men who at some point in their life had attended Harvard, all to see what is it that makes a thriving person. And what they discovered was uh, that the most determining factor for a thriving life wasn't money, where you grew up, class, political affiliation, any of that. It was the warmth of your family. The most determining factor for the thriving of your spiritual life isn't your circumstances, isn't your sin, isn't other people's sin, as real as all those things are. It's the warmth of your heavenly father. Do you know it? Don't leave today without knowing it more. The status, the smile, lastly, the stateliness of adoption. What do I mean by stateliness? When the father adopts you into his family, you come alive to a new dignity that he gives you. Uh, Paul ends this amazing passage by saying in verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Wealthy Roman men adopted to solve a problem. They needed an heir. They needed someone to pass their estate onto. Without one, the wealth, the security of the family would eventually be lost. 
So when a young man was adopted, they weren't just becoming the son, they were, be, they were becoming the heir of the family estate. They now had uh, the, the full rights to everything the father owned. They, they went from being a servant, possibly in lifelong debt, to now richer than they ever thought possible. Now, the richest person in the world right now is Elon Musk. He's got a net worth of $298 billion. At what point do you just stop counting? Now, wouldn't it be nice if richest man in the world, Elon Musk, also happened to be without kids, richest man in the world, Elon Musk? If that was the case, maybe there's, maybe there's just a chance where you can wiggle your way into his good graces and maybe, just maybe, if you play your cards right, you can convince him into making you his heir. You get it all coming to you. Well, bad news, he's got eight kids. None of us will ever see a dollar of that money. He doesn't need an heir. And God doesn't need an heir either. He already has one. But good news, he wants more. The gospel of adoption means you become an heir with Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus by merit becomes yours by grace. You are now set for life. When God adopts you, it means not just all that, that all your problems become his problems, but all his riches now become your riches. So here's the question this morning. Are you expecting too little from your heavenly father? Are you just expecting him in the gospel to take something off of you, your sin, without him then also putting something on you, the robe and ring of his own son? When the father adopts you as his heir, you can now, you can now never expect too much from him. But in fact, he thinks he's at his best when he is giving you his best. And with the new wealth of an heir comes a new dignity of an heir. Because of everything that the father would give to an heir, they instantly became the most important child in the family. Everything was coming to them. They were the most important child in the family now. They were the prized possession. And when God adopts you to be his heir, it means you are now his most important child. You are his prized possession. You are the apple of his eye. When the father adopts you, he makes you alive to a new dignity a new stateliness, one that can heal the wounds of disgrace you've received. In the places where you have been bruised from the sin of other people, where you've been marked by someone else's evil, where you want to hide, where you feel inadequate, where you were told from someone else, you're not enough. Here by faith, right this moment, the Father telling you through his word, you're my prized possession. You're not trash. You're my heir. 
And here's the best part. It's all ours through grace. Paul makes a point to emphasize that in verse seven. He doesn't say, and since you're a child, you're an heir. But he says, and since you're a child, God has made you an heir. Meaning in the gospel of adoption, you are now an heir of all things. Not because we got enough religious gold stars on God's cosmic felt board to earn it. We never could. It could never work that way. No, we become an heir through the extravagant grace of our heavenly father. Who in the fullness of time came, sent his son, sent his heir sent his most important child who left his father's house and set aside his father's things, who on the cross stepped into our alienation, experienced our void, paid the debt of our orphan wanderings, who gave up his seat at the family table so you could have it, so you could come alive to the Father's love for you, who gives his beloved children by grace a new status, a new smile, and a new stateliness. Adoption will give you wings. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in the gospel, you not only bang your gavel and declare us innocent, as amazing and a miracle as enough as that would be on its own, you take it even further. You wrap your arm around us and call us your children. You take us home and you dress us in the robe and ring of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to come alive to the Father's love for us. Amen.